1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's it's off season. It's not even preseason, although that is beginning soon. The players will be coming uh trickling back to get some fitness under their belts because amazingly the community shield takes place next weekend. That's right, August twenty-ninth. Arsenal versus Liverpool in the Community Shield, I would say that if you were to volunteer for either side, you could probably get a game for this one because uh, I don't know that Mikel Arteta and Jurgen Klopp will be using their most experienced players. I mean, why don't they just do something like, was it in Pro Evolution 2 or... Whatever it was, I can't quite remember which one of the uh, pro evolution soccer games it was where you could play as penguins or dinosaurs or ostriches or something like that. Why don't they just get 11 Liverpool fans, 11 Arsenal fans, put them in outrageously oversized, hilarious costumes which make them fall over and let them run around Wembley for 90 minutes. 29th of August playing the Community Shield. The uh, Premier League, of course, doesn't start until the uh, 12th of September. So, you know, there there are risks involved in playing some of your good players in there. But look, we will cover that game on next week's show and give it all the importance that it deserves with a full, I would say, seven or eight second Preview. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. We will have to talk about it a bit. And, of course, we will hear from Mikel Arteta ahead of that game for the first time since the end of the season, really. And, of course, a lot has happened. A lot has happened since... Since the season is over between, you know, things going on off the pitch at Arsenal, there will be hopefully some things going on in relation to, uh, on the pitch matters, whether those are signings or contract extensions, none of which have happened just yet uh, at the time of recording. But maybe by this time next week, there will be a few exciting things to talk to Mikel Arteta about. Have you ever, let me ask you this question. Um, it is the off season, so I can do this. I can. I can waffle. Have you ever become hyper aware of one of your own feet? Like, you know, you have feet, but you don't ever think about them, do you? You don't, you don't go along going, oh, there's my foot. There's my other foot. You just don't. They're there. You walk on them. And that's, that's the way it works. But lately I've been getting this thing where I just become hyper aware of one of my feet. Could be the left one, could be the right one. And all of a sudden you're there going, this foot is very there isn't it? I mean, it's, it's writ large upon my consciousness. And the worst part is, is that when you become really hyper, super aware of your own foot, it's very difficult to not be aware of it because, you know, your feet are important parts of your body. I don't know what's going on here, but I've got it going on right now as I'm talking to you with my left foot. My left foot is just super there. So my right foot is just there. I don't care. I don't really care about my right foot, but my left foot is like, Hello! Hi! I'm right here. Just being a foot, just hanging around at the end of your leg. It's that foot you can't kick a football as well as you can with your other foot. You know, your right foot, that one. You can really smash a football, but with your left foot, you can't really do it with me, can you? I'm here! So I am. Um, so I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this. Seems to be happening with uh, some measure of frequency lately. Maybe that's to do with other things that are going on in the world. Who knows? It's been a strange and scary time for all of us. Perhaps my foot, my feet are very sensitive to I don't know what. Maybe there's some shit going on at the Earth's core. Sounds bizarre, but would you rule it out in 2020, given all the other stuff that's happened? I would not. Anyway... I'll keep you up to date if there are any further developments in my uh, foot awareness. A little bit later on, we will be talking about Arsenal youth, the under-23, some of the things that are going on at that level with our uh, youth football expert from Arse blog News, George Bird. He'll be along a little bit later on. But first up, let's bring in another Arsblog News stalwart. It is Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm glad that the season review post that we've been working on most of the week is now done and dusted. Um, we went uh, fairly in-depth, I think you would say, on the 2019-20 season. 15,000 words of a long read available to everybody now over on Arse blog News. So much happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, that post kind of took on a life of its own, didn't it? I mean, we were going to do a short timeline, and then yeah. suddenly it just sprawled and sprawled. Um, yeah, it was mad. I mean, there were certain things when I was reading through the kind of ArsBlog News archive, that really just sort of made me laugh. You know, players that I just completely forgot had even started the season with us, like Monreal, even Mkhitaryan, mm. um, Chamberlain, uh, uh, not Chamberlain, uh, Carl Jenkinson playing in pre-season. <laughs> um, yeah, madness. I mean, all of that feels just like a complete lifetime ago. Obviously, yeah. the entire world has completely changed.
1: Where is um, Carl Jenkinson now? I've completely, in the mists of time, I've completely forgotten where... Carl Jenkinson is Nottingham I Forest.
2: He's solding to Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how he got on. I mean, obviously,
1: doesn't look um- great.
2: No, thinking... they missed out
1: on promotion, didn't they? Mm. What Was was there one thing in particular or, or one theme or, or anything from that review that when you went back through, because we went from like July, the start of July 2019, just as pre-season is beginning, uh, right until basically present day because uh, a few things have happened post-season that we thought we should touch on as well or just, you know, um, chronicle, if you like. But was there anything in particular that stood out for you?
2: Um. The protracted captaincy saga. Mm. And while on the surface of it, it doesn't look like it should have been a big deal. And even retrospectively, it it shouldn't be a big deal. Everything that kind of went along with it, the Xhaka fallout, what that kind of, you know, how that reflected on Emery, how the fans felt about Emery's treatment of Xhaka and and the way that that whole process played out. That kind of, for me, just when you look back at it, it just, there were alarm bells everywhere there.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, and
2: I, yeah,
1: go on. No, I was just going to say the Koscielny thing happened in early to mid July. And Mm. it was towards the end of September, if I remember correctly, that we, that we actually appointed a captain. You know, the, the prevaricating over that, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not here to sort of bat uh, for Granite Jack in terms of how he reacted, but I really feel like, there were sort of touch papers lit under that situation for quite some time. It was bubbling for ages and ages and ages. And I do think um, in no small part, it was down to Emery um, just delaying a decision, which was a really easy one to make.
2: I, I don't think he wanted to make a controversial decision or something that he thought would be greeted with negativity and actually all he did was end up making the decision everyone knew he was going to make anyway, but bring loads of negativity upon himself. I feel like.
1: Yeah. And um, Jacker. in fairness. And
2: and and Xhaka, and of course. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of became this lightning rod didn't he by yeah. the time that, you know, the crystal palace situation uh, actually played out. Um, but again, I mean, it, it just, it just feels like an absolute lifetime ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what that Emory, you know, dilly-dallying kind of reflected. Was, it was something I kind of had deep down in me, a worry, which was I just don't think this guy's the right person. I don't think he's capable of being decisive enough to sort of make the big decisions unless it was a guy who also wasn't being asked to make all of the decisions. You know, he wasn't a manager. He was strictly a head coach, and this really should have been quite a simple one. But, you know... We know it didn't work out for him in the
1: end. No. I, I think the thing that stood out for me was, as the season went on, the increased uh, presence or or public profile of agents um, dealing with yeah. various subjects. And, you know, I don't need to name names, but, you know, there are players and there are agents um, who have been fairly outspoken throughout this season. So I think that was something that really stood out for me as... As different or or not quite what we're used to at Arsenal, you know, particularly the the and stuff. Um, you know, we've heard from agents before. Of course, we have players have agents. They talk, they they posture, they put their their position forward in in public for the benefit of their client or whatever it might be. But you know the the whole david louise business and and Jurabhin talking about how well you know there are certain things involving the the structures of of arsenal that need to be sorted out or will be sorted out, I think he said, and then we were sort of sitting there going, well, what is he talking about what 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 exactly does he mean about the structures?" And then the head scout gets let go and the scouting department gets taken apart. And, and you know, in time, perhaps we'll see those things as, as positive in some way. If there's a restructuring of those departments and it makes us better, that's all well and good. But, you know, the idea that an agent going on talk sport is talking about Arsenal that comfortably, that really just stood out for me as something that, that Arsenal in the past would not have tolerated as a football club.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, there were certain ways of doing things. I kind of always always think back to the kind of Peter Hill Wood um, era, and it was kind of a closed shop, wasn't it? I mean, word didn't really get out. Occasionally, he might do an interview with someone at the News of the World or something, but Mm. realistically, you just didn't get anything out of the hierarchy. And yeah, we we, we found ourselves in a situation this season where, the guy who has the ear of the most important people in the in the hierarchy, is there basically airing our dirty laundry in public on Talk Sport almost yeah. weekly.
1: Um, Even up until last week, in fairness, he, he was on there talking about Sven Mislintat and some of the things that, that he did yeah. as, as, uh, 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 during his time at the club. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't just a one-off.
2: But it's, it's, it's it's a really difficult situation for us. I mean, privately, they might be able to say, look, Kia, we're not very comfortable with this, but realistically, we know that if we're leaning on his contact book and this is something we're comfortable doing, we don't really have a leg to stand on. He's not an employee, so we can't kind of tell him off, castigate him for, for behaving in a particular way. I mean, we kind of know him. It may be that, you know, Edu doesn't really care that Kia Jirabjin talks like this. Um, I, I think it you know, for our, a club of our standing, it it's not a great look. Um, I can just about sort of put it to one side and go, well, okay, if we start delivering on the pitch, then they have a lot less things to be going on to talk sport to kind of sort of gossip about, mm. which is basically what this is. It's, he's, he's, he's a bit of a gossiper. He kind of likes kind of maintaining his profile, and I guess that's worked for him over the years.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, look um... – I think it's something that happens maybe elsewhere and isn't maybe taken quite the same way that we would take it. But, you know, as it's laid out in that season review and people can find it over on Arsblog News, you can just sort of see, you can build your own picture of of perhaps how comfortable certain people felt about talking about uh, Arsenal you know, when they're not um, employees of Arsenal, talking about specifics that are that are going on behind the scenes, whatever their connections to people who work at the club or who used to work at the club, um, it, it still didn't quite sit right with me. But I, I think really the, the the key takeaway is just the sheer volume. Of everything that happened with you know, Emery, with Arteta, with Freddie Yumberg, with the pandemic, with the shutdown, with the lockdown, with the restart, with the you know some of the results, um, and ultimately, thankfully, ending in what was just a, an amazing FA Cup win against Chelsea. You know, if you'd sit down and written that as a script, people would say, "No, that's not believable."
2: I mean, the funny thing is, is obviously, you know, in the first half of the season, I think a lot of people were looking at the Amazon documentary that Spurs were having made about them (laughs) and going, oh, aren't aren't Spurs having a really dramatic season? Um, And I guess, you know, that will probably be quite a good watch, but I don't feel in the last sort of six weeks or something that their season ended up with the kind of narrative arc that the Arsenal one has had, you know, this kind of almost redemption story, you know, back comes this hero a uh, former player who kind of, you know, brings everybody back together, goes to Wembley, wins against the odds. I mean, yeah, ours was ours was really the Hollywood script. There was, was a kind of, I don't know, sort of, it was all right for a bit, but then kind of petered out a bit, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I pay as little attention to Tottenham as I possibly can. I certainly won't be watching that uh that series um i'm sure people will post things on twitter and stuff which will be amusing but i i find i have to say i find things like that just a little bit uncomfortable i would really really hate for arsenal to do that
2: well if the money men come calling i I think we'll take everything we can get two and a half million pounds might get a load of people their jobs back by the looks of things Mm. um yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, yes. I mean, having having sat here five minutes ago and basically said that it's a bit uncomfortable airing your, you know, dirty laundry in public, that is exactly what documentaries like that do. They really are. They have to be kind of properly fly on the wall to make them worth doing in the first place. Um, yeah. The, Sun- the Sunderland one was quite a good watch, I thought.
1: Yeah, it wasn't bad, actually. But I think there's something maybe a little bit different when it's such a kind of tragic yeah. story, you know? Um I didn't and I, have
2: anything against Sunderland, for example, and you, I didn't. I wasn't jealous of you know their successes or their you know or their failures, as it were. I mean, yeah. I didn't watch the City one.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't. I, you know, like I, I, I saw a few clips doing the rounds, and it made me not want to to watch the rest of it. To be perfectly yeah. honest, I didn't watch the second series of the Sunderland one either. You know, I just. Just not not quite my thing. All right, well look, let's move on. Um few bits and pieces to talk about this week. Not a huge amount, of course, because it is still the off season. Uh the new away kit is out. Um as a man of uh keen sartorial taste, please give me your uh marks out of ten for that for that kit. Oh, two
2: um, two out of ten. <laughs> I mean okay. I, get, I I like I like the I honestly, I like the idea behind it. I genuinely like the idea of kind of trying to play off the marble halls and all the rest of do, it. Do I you think how the story got sold, mm. but the execution, I mean, it looks like an execution. I mean, it, it, it's, it's
3: awful.
1: <laughs> it um, does look a lot more like blood splatters than, than marble. Do you feel that this was the story behind it, that it was a case that they went, let's make something based on the famous marble halls or they made something and then went, how the fuck do we sell this? Marble, I, marble holes, do it, do it.
2: I mean, I, I I, would love I would love to know the process that happens in the kit, kit design because I'm almost certain that you end up with a designer who probably halfway through the process loses his soul because enough people have become involved and this kind of thing that he'd created or she had created has suddenly been kind of torn to bit, bit by bit, and you end up with what you've got. I bet the original looked nothing like this. Yeah.
1: Football shirt okay. says, uh, what is the, the famous quote? Um, a camel is a horse designed by committee. So every football shirt is a kind of um, a cloth camel, if you like.
2: Yeah. Well, look, to be honest, I'm, I'm willing to give Adidas the benefit of the doubt. They've bought themselves a lot of kind of... Uh, a lot of leeway with last year's home kit. So, you know, I'm fine with them making the odd mistake. I say mistake. I mean, I'm sure it'll get bought by loads of people. I've already seen quite a lot of excitement about it today.
1: Yeah. Look, it might be one of those things that we grow to... I was going to say love. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case. Love perhaps is a bit too strong, but it might be one that we grow to have reasonably adequate feelings for.
2: I think if the team wins in it, it also yeah. grows in popularity, right? Yeah. And then it becomes something of a cult classic. I mean the only reason the last was the last white kit we had was the um the one that we beat AC Milan with, which That's is right, very yeah. similar to this, wasn't it? Yeah. And I kind of you know, I have very good memories of that one particular night. I I don't really remember us wearing that kit that often. Um so that's the other thing that's always kind of curious like if you've got a red and white home kit why make a red and white away kit seems a bit odd white and red I I guess the the blue third kit will end up getting used quite a lot more
1: yeah I can I can't picture what that one is I'm sure there are pictures out there Um, yeah
2: it looks very, very similar to our blue third kit for this season. I
1: think. Right. Okay. So a lot of imagination uh, has gone yeah. into to this season's kits. Anyway, look, those are small. The video things. was good, though, right? The video was good. I'm not sure the uh, the statue of David uh, Seaman was <laughs> <laughs> was quite what I was expecting, but I have to say I did laugh at that. That was that was a nice little touch, particularly the placement of the gloves.
2: Yeah. It was. Yeah. No, I thought it was good. That and the ponytail really got me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was good. And and like I did look at the um there's a, a bit, isn't there, where they go into the uh, like a gallery or whatever it is, and there's Kieran Tierney with his Tesco bag, and there's uh, Gabriel Martinelli, I think, William Saliba, Bakayo Saka. Yep, yep. It just sort of gives you this sense of of the future, if you like, of Arsenal, and hopefully these these young players can be a big part of that with their you know various um, various things that we all love about them: their footballing talent, of course, their Tesco bags, and and all the rest.
2: Yeah, and I, I think the other really interesting thing was just how on a par they put the Arsenal women's team. You know, yeah, the that's true. Thing yeah. kind of like you know we're treating both sides equally, and I thought that was a really kind of good marketing move. And I think it, you know, I definitely feel like the club have moved that way in their coverage of the of the women over the course of the last two seasons as well.
1: Well, seeing as we've just come on to them, I suppose we should wish them the best of luck because they are playing a Champions League quarter final against PSG at the weekend. Um, they're going to San Sebastian, about which I'm particularly jealous. Uh, although I'm not sure they're going to have a lot of great, uh, a lot of time to to wander around and eat pinchos and stuff like that. Maybe afterwards, who knows? But it is a uh, the tournament, the Women's Champions League tournament is taking place in in San Sebastian and Bilbao um over a period i think of a week or eight days something like that um so yeah good luck to the arsenal women on saturday
2: yeah absolutely um it, you know we 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 need them to do european football a favor by knocking out psg i think um,
1: Yeah. and like the double i'm very what are, what are your thoughts on the the champions league final
2: uh i i just shrug of the shoulders, really. I mean, I guess I quite like watching Serge Gnabry be brilliant. So I, I think Bayern will do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of in that situation where it's like um, you know shit sandwich or shit sandwich with some extra shit on mm. top um, when it comes to who wins, but. You know, given the ownership and everything else, and you know, Bayern are are far, far, far from my favourite uh, team. Uh, I still want them to be PSG, and uh, it would be great if Serge Gnabry could do the business for them. What a player he's turned into!
2: Yeah, fantastic goal, wasn't it, the other night? Mm. Wow, he's. Um, you know, the thing is, I think all Arsenal fans sort of sort of knew he was a really good player, even when he wasn't having that. Good spell at West Brom, you know, if you'd seen him when he came through the ranks and that early goal, I think he scored against Swansea. Um, He really, you know, he really was like, you know, there was something about him. You could see his in-game intelligence and he had the kind of physical prowess to go with that. And, you know, I, I knew he was going to be a good player. Obviously, the injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit. Um, But people seem to have got this idea that we let him go. And that just wasn't the case because he went off to the Olympics and had a storming Olympics with Germany. And um, I remember at the time, like, Wenger was very, very keen to try and get him to sign a new deal. And we just couldn't get that over the line. And at that point, there was all this weird stuff going on with Bayern Munich kind of tapping him up via Werder Bremen, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was a very weird move in the end. But, it, you know, it seems like Bayern played a long game and used someone else to get him, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are good at stuff like that. And, you know, if you're Serge Ganabry and Bayern Munich come calling, you know, why wouldn't that be attractive to you? I do think... You know, in the midst of time, we've forgotten that he was being played quite regularly in the team at 18 years of age. And he was really, really exciting. And you do, I mean, my regret, of course, is is how it ended up. And I don't think anybody at Arsenal um, who was involved in the decision to send him on loan to a Tony Pulis West Brom can look back on that and think that was the right thing to do. It, It certainly wasn't but i I wonder what might have happened if he hadn't had that very serious injury. It was a really bad knee injury. He was out for over a year um and he needed i think to to go on loan somewhere and and you know rebuild his fitness and rebuild his confidence. but had that not happened to him, you know I feel like he mm. would have really established himself in the in the arsenal team.
2: yeah, I think you were talking to Clive on one of the ask casts was it last week mm. and um Uh, Clive sounded very kind of keen to make sure that the young players this time around or this generation of young players are are far more protected by the coaching team. So not to overplay them, not Mm. for them to get injuries, because we've seen so many young players at Arsenal kind of pick up really serious injuries after about two years in the first team. And then they're never quite the same. I mean, you could... You know, you could even look at someone like Jack Wilshire, for example, in that, you know. Um, and some of those incidences aren't, are, are not necessarily about being overplayed. Some were impact industries, but there's this sort of, you know, we it, it's about just sort of making sure that you don't burn them out, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, Labrie was great. I think he'll be a star of the game for years to come and maybe one day we'll get to... Have him back at
1: Arsenal. Well, he does, you know, he doesn't have any ill will towards Arsenal at all. You know no, no, that no, he's, he's, he's really connected to the club. I like his tweets when, you know, he scores a lot of goals against Tottenham and then tweets <laughs> North London is red. And someone was, I saw a picture doing the rounds during the week. I can't remember where, but like, you know, one of the Bayern conference calls during lockdown, he's wearing the new Arsenal away kit, you know. So. Uh, I don't think it's a question of, of, of falling out with Arsenal. It is a big shame, of course, that he's he's not still with us, but that's that's kind of the way it goes in football sometimes, unfortunately. Um, let's just talk very quickly about the fixtures, because the Premier League fixtures were released uh, yesterday, as people are listening to this. Uh, we start with Fulham away, which is, uh, I'm not going to say an easy game by any means, but it's a nice game to start with. Um... But some testing fixtures in the first uh, couple of weeks, we've got Liverpool away, we've got Manchester City away, and we've got Manchester United away from home. So, um, Mikel Arteta is a manager um, who is presented, it seems, with more than his fair share of challenges uh, by things that are completely out of his hands, whether it's you know a virus, whether it's injuries, whether it's red cards, whether it's... Uh, the fixture computer, and um, I, I have to say, I feel for him a little bit with that kind of a start.
2: Yeah, I mean, we I mean, if if we really need to hit the ground running, really, because it's very easy to find yourself a long way behind the leaders quite quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, those away games in a row are Fulham, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Leeds, which could be tough, mm. Spurs. Mm. I mean, that's the away games that take us all the way through till December, uh, that is that is really tough. I mean, I did try and put a sort of positive spin on it on Twitter this morning when I saw it, which is basically on the plus side, there won't be any home fans there at that point, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll see how many fans end up in stadiums by Christmas time, but I don't imagine it will be that many. But um, you know, I guess we could take positive vibes from the fact that we obviously had some good results towards the end of last season, Liverpool and City and Chelsea. Um, it was more those sides with the low block that we struggled against, wasn't it? Um,
0: yeah.
1: That,
2: that Villa game in particular kind of comes to mind. So I, it's, just, it's just really hard to tell what the season's going to be like. I mean, it's just so unusual to start a season with this, you know, very, very short break with a transfer window, which is going to run into the, what, it was about 6 weeks after the season starts um probably less than that, actually isn't it it's more like 3 or 4 um yeah there's just so many unknowns i mean they're still with the no fans thing um I, I i it's really hard to it's really hard to call it but yeah on paper that looks like a, a really difficult Start.
1: it does and one of the the other aspects of this which may not affect some people listening to this depending on where they are in the world and the 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 TV deals that are done in those countries but in the UK and in Ireland um even though we have slightly more uh Premier League games and than, than you do generally because we can get a 3 pm Saturday game now and and you guys can't but mm. they're not carrying on this um broadcasting of all the games I know the Arsenal supporters trust, um, are quite exercised about this because fans are not going to be let in the stadiums. Um, and it may mean that fans can't see their teams on television in, in the UK, unless of course, you know, they go, uh, via illegal streams and God forbid anybody would do anything like that, uh, when it comes to watching a game of football. But like, I mean, it's one thing for, for you or me, for listeners to this podcast, you know, a lot of people don't quite know how to do that or to make that happen. And, um, I wonder if that's something that might become an issue over the coming weeks uh, in terms of what games are going to be on TV um, and how strongly fans and fans groups are going to be represented uh, in in those terms. Because, you know, if you don't get to see your team, uh, if you're a season ticket holder, for example, and you're you're not allowed basically see your team play a game, it's going to hurt even more.
2: Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a completely different experience being at home and watching football compared to mm. in the stadium because you just don't get any of the i guess the um the ability to blow off steam whether that be in the pub afterwards or even screaming expletives at the referee or something
1: mm-hmm. uh, not that you would ever do that Andrew.
2: No. not that i would ever do that no um i yeah there's i mean i i'm not entirely sure what the thinking is unless they're kind of concerned that they would have to commit to the entire season and every single game being on. Mm. Um, Which I think is something that the Premier League are probably exploring. Um, You know, La Liga have got their own TV channel and you can pay per view to just, you know, basically have a subscription to La Liga TV and watch every single game. And I imagine that the Premier League are probably looking at going down that kind of model, which would then take out the... Middlemen, which mm. currently exist, and take you know loads and loads of their money. If they just got ten quid off everybody globally, um, you know the Premier League will be absolutely rolling in it more than they already are. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as as for the ticketing issue, I mean, I uh, you know I've heard a few whispers about what might happen. It's just going to lead to a lot of disappointment if only a certain number of fans can go in uh, to a stadium on a match day. Oh, yeah. And the- the experience is going to be weird anyway, if you're all supposed to be kind of sitting a long way from each other. I mean, I've been at the occasional league cup game in the years gone by where you've got a couple of rows completely empty in front of you. And it obviously just, it's not the same. Um, it's not why you go to football to basically be standing around with nobody near you. Um, so we'll just, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, I, I, you can't really blame the club or anything. I mean, everybody's in the same boat, but, um, yeah, they're going to have to be quite on top of the logistics of it all.
1: Yeah, look, that's fair to say. You know, they're, they can only operate within the guidelines that are put in place by the, the various authorities, the Premier League and obviously the government advice that goes along with that. You know, I, I, I do have a fear and I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, as we head into the winter months and, and maybe cases rise again, you know, the idea of fans being let back into the stadium might not be quite as uh, sensible uh, as it seems, even if it is on a, a limited basis. But, you know, we'll wait and see. And maybe um, if more supporters groups like the Arsenal Supporters Trust and I think, you know, people like the Football Supporters Federation or Football uh, Football Fans Association, they've rebranded. I can't remember what they're called now, but, um, you know, for for people to be able to see their teams uh, live is is hugely important. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll get something done with that. We were going to talk a little bit about transfer rumours, but there's not a lot going on, Andrew. There's Gabrielle from Lille. There's stories about uh, OR from from Leon. But, uh, you know, there's no real substance to those at the moment. And we might cover those in the RScast Extra on Monday if stuff happens over the weekend. So we'll leave it there. As ever, Andrew, thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. And, of course, Andrew is the co-host of the Left Field Podcast, talking about football and other sports with an Irishman, of all the things. Just search for Left Field Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can do the subscribe thing.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Okay, with me now on the ArsCast to take a look at what's happening at youth level is our youth correspondent on Arsebug News, the man who knows all there is to know about what's happening at Arsenal at uh, under 23 and below. It's George Bird. Hi, George. Hi, Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on structurally um, at that level, at youth level. We know Steve Ball took over last year from Freddie Jumberg. Um, are there any other changes or have there been any other changes put in place over the course of, of last season, which obviously was uh, truncated because of the COVID-19
4: situation? Um, well, there have been a lot of um, changes to the scouting network that's been um, well documented and and we're really starting to see um, Per Mertesacker's influence as the academy manager now. He's really putting his own stamp on things. We've seen um, recently we've signed George Lewis and Tim Akinola and we're going to sign um, Jonathan Dunzey as well. These are all players who were like released by other clubs. So it's a changing approach, um, the way we're doing things and... I must say I'm a bit um, sceptical about that, really, because um, there's been talking about we could make money from developing these players and then selling them, but I don't think you'd probably be able to make like, more than one or two million from them. But to be honest, um, I can understand signing uh, Lewis and um, Akinola because um, Lewis is a winger and we don't have that many of them in the under-23s and Akinola is a defensive midfielder. And again, we need someone in that position but the Dinzei one is a bit weird because I think he's probably he's quite a good player I've seen him against Arsenal like a few times but um, we've got quite a lot of centre-backs already at youth level so mm. it just seems a bit odd really but um, maybe they think he's got some like raw qualities and if they can coach him how they want to then um think it turn out okay but I mean, we seem to have a lot of like defenders at youth level but I'm not really sure if that's because Sacker was a defender himself I and mean, then he's trying to like um give them like advice and try and progress them to the next level but mm. uh, Mertzak has done quite a lot of good work I mean he can't really take credit for the players that really got into the first team like Willick and Nelson and Because they were going to get in already but mm. um he's done a lot of um work with um, younger players. He's changed the positions of some players and that's um, worked out well. But I think we can't really judge him properly for like another two or three years, but he's definitely starting to get his ideas across. And another thing about like away from actual playing of matches and stuff, is that he's um, doing a lot of work with the academy players with regards to um, mental health and things like that. Um, and he's got this thing called the Academy Island where the players can talk about how they're feeling mentally and um, how they want to progress. So that's something that I think is really good, especially given the current situation. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a it's kind of a change of culture, isn't it, with football? Because for, for so long, you kind of have to be this, <clears throat> you know, to, to make it in football, you're supposed to be a strong mental character. You're not supposed to display... Any kind of weaknesses, and and Mertesacker himself was very open about his own struggles with anxiety and some mental health issues during his career. So trying to trying to change that culture from an early age at Arsenal seems a very positive thing.
4: Yeah, it's definitely true. And I think um, one player who really fits that mould is um, Daniel Ballard. He's a defender, and he's been training with the first team like recently. But he got he actually got released twice by Arsenal, and then he's he got taken on again and then he's like last season he missed most of the season for injury but he still managed to carry on and he said that academy like Ireland thing that Matt Tucker brought in like, helped him as well so mm. um he's definitely Matt definitely made an impact and um yeah but like I said I don't think you can really judge um too much yet but the policy that he's got of, like, bringing in these development players, it's, like, really in stark contrast to what we were doing with, like, Andres Yonka about five years ago. We were signing, like, Marlon and Dragomir and Ben Adelaide, like, some of the best youth players in the world. And now we're just trying to find, like, other players who have been let go by other teams. So it's a real, like change in
1: policy. Do we know quite why that is the case? Obviously there's you know, and you've written about this on on Arse blog news. Um, there is a crop of young players who have come through and they're part of the first team squad, Bakayo Saka, Eddie Nketiah, Reece Nelson, um, Joe Willock, and that sort of creates a, a little bit of a gap in terms of some of the age groups uh, for the players that, that that Steve Bold is going to work with because these these guys, you know, at 20, 19, 20 years of age, Saka is only 18 of course, are now part and parcel of the first team squad. So so you, there is this little gap there. But what is the thought process and how are these players being identified? We read that that Akinola was signed without anybody um, looking at him in person. He, he Normally, you can see a player, you bring him in, you give him a trial and you see what he's like. And he was brought in um, the story goes, at least, based entirely on the video analysis that they did um, of him. So that in itself is is a massive change. So you can see s- sort of the logic of bringing in these players at that age group to sort of fill the gap for Steve Bold and his coaches to work within the various teams. But the the process of, of identifying those talents uh, is, is markedly different, as you say.
4: Um, yeah, um, they're still taking like, some players on trial like george lewis was on trial they've got another player who was released by qpr who's coming for a trial next week but the other thing is like, really interesting but and i've seen like the video highlights of him and he looks so like, really good but then i think you can make a video like that for like most youth players of their best like aspects and then yeah um you don't really get to see like the mistakes they make or like what they're like as a person or things like that so I don't I think maybe for a one off or something it could be okay but as a long-term strategy I think um, it's probably not the best route to go down but maybe it was partly due to the current situation where there aren't any like youth matches being played so they were just looking at that and just taking what they could really but um, he did get quite a lot of like rave reviews um, for example, of his performances for Huddersfield last season, but then um, Akinola, that is. Um, yeah. But I read um, the other day that he went on loan to a non-league club, um, I think, last season. And then the manager of that club said that he'd never f- think that a club like Arsenal would come in for him. So mm. it seems like quite strange, really. But, um, but it kind of reminded me of the Cohen Bamble signing, really, yeah. where... Um, And that was, like, totally out of the blue. Like, things like that don't normally happen, at Arsenal. But no. with Bramwell, he never really looked like making it. But he did play quite a lot of youth games and he filled in in 13 training sessions sometimes. And there was Semi Jay who they signed about seven years ago. That was quite a similar situation. He was a centre-back. He trained with the first team, like, so many times just to fill in, really. Right. Um. So sometimes it's just about making up the numbers in, like, training sessions and things like that.
1: Mm, I mean it is it is a, a strange way of doing things. I mean, the, the George Lewis signing one of his former clubs told him, look, you're not going to make it. You better find a club in the Norwegian third or fourth division. And all of a sudden he's at Arsenal and look, good luck to these guys. And maybe, you know, they need a chance. Maybe they need, um, a break or better coaching or whatever it might be. It, it could work out. It does feel like a, a bit of a long shot, to be honest. And, and you mentioned changes to the scouting network and things like that. It, 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 it occurs to me that. Look, at youth level, things can be quite hit or miss. Somebody who looks really great at youth level doesn't make the grade. We've all seen that story play out time and time again. But when you look at some of the players who have come through the Arsenal youth system in the last number of years, and look, people will have watched Serge Gnabry this week, um, you know, Jeff uh, Ren Adelaide, Jeff um You mentioned Malin as well. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other one that I'm thinking of, uh, Ismail Ben You know, players who have gone on from Arsenal to play for big clubs and and do very, very well. You know, it, it doesn't feel like the scouting or the identification of talent at this level was really a big problem. The issue was finding a way to integrate these players into the first team and, and to give them the kind of minutes that they needed to develop as players um, because those are some seriously good players that have that have come through our ranks and are no longer here.
4: Yeah. I think um, sometimes it's difficult when players have come from uh, abroad and like sometimes they want to go back to their home country eventually like mm. Gnabry did. Um, but... Um, Around that time as well, like when those players were here, like it was towards the end of Arsene Wenger's um, time at the club, and he wasn't really playing as many youngsters because he wanted to basically just win as many games as possible and he didn't want to take too many risks. But um, yeah, it is difficult to um, retain these youngsters, especially when you've got so many competing for a place at the same time. So that's why I think that's why they're taking that approach now of giving like people like Willock and and Katia probably played more games in you'd expect them to but they're doing that to like make sure that they're um, within the um, they want to stay at the club but um, it's, it is really difficult you're always going to get um, top quality like you players want to leave the current situation with Balogun is another one I
3: yeah.
4: think Arsenal could have probably managed that a bit better last season but you know we didn't really give him a chance in like the cup games so and he hasn't played at all for the first team and but I think if they're wanting, they're apparently demanding like eight million pounds for him. But um, he is a really talented player. And I think he could do well. But championship clubs like looking at that, they're probably not going to pay eight million pounds for someone who hadn't played any first team football. So well, why
1: do you um, think why do you think he didn't get the chances that maybe some of the other players did? Because you know you've written about him and and how highly rated he is and. Uh, you know, we've seen some of the video clips and the goals that he scored. Uh, you know, Arsenal do have a collection of, of young strikers. There's Tyrese John-Jules as well. Obviously, Eddie Nketiah is in there, who's probably a little uh, more polished in terms of his development and the playing time that he's had at uh, at Leeds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but, you know, why Why has Balagoon got to, or why has it got to a situation with him where, where it looks like he's going to go? I mean, have Arsenal tried to keep him, or is it, a, is it a question that they're just sort of accepting the fact he's he's on his way, he wants to go?
4: Um, well, I think um, he didn't train with the first team like when quite a few youngsters did towards the end of last season. So I think it's looking like more likely he'll go now, and they're not going to, like, integrate him into the first team unless he said he's going to stay. But at the same time, if he doesn't get chances, he won't want to stay. So mm. like, the approach doesn't really make much sense, really, to be honest. But um, I think if he if he was told like right now that he's going to get chances in the League Cup and maybe do Europa League like, next season and train with the first team like, all the time, I think he'd probably stay, but he has not been given those guarantees. And I think... Because Ketty is, like, not that much older than him as well. That's one of the problems because... And also, um, Arteta and Nürnberg rate um, Tyrese John-Jules like really highly as well. So they probably see John-Jules ahead of Balogun. I personally think Balogun's maybe slightly better, but I think maybe John-Jules is probably right now someone who fits their philosophy more because he, like, works hard and chases after the ball. So maybe... Mm. Bellingham might not completely suit what Arteta wants as well.
1: There is a really interesting dynamic, isn't there, with with Mikel Arteta at the, you know, at the club now. He's the head coach or the manager. Um, Freddie UMBERG, who was part of the under twenty three setup, is is part of the first team coaching setup. Um, per Mertesacker is the academy manager, a former teammate of of Arteta. It feels like perhaps there are these relationships there which might make decision-making when it comes to these young players and who's ready, who's not, who's going to go on loan, who's got a first-team chance. You know, those there can be, and I'm not saying this is true of of, uh, people who've been there before, but there can be sometimes a bit of distance or even friction between the various uh, departments uh, at these levels. But that doesn't seem to be the case right now because of the relationships that these guys have.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think... um... But when Jürgen was like, in temporary charge like, last season, like he started to bring a lot of the youth players like into the first-team training sessions. And Arteta's carried that on as well. So he's always like looking at who the next prospects are. And um, a lot of those players who trained with the first team towards the end of last season, like um, Matt Smith and Trey Coyle and Zek Meddy, they've all gone on loan now. So there seems to be like more of a structure towards what Arsenal are doing and when they send these players on loan they're sending them to clubs that will probably like give them more game time and it's interesting they're looking at um, loaning them more to like League One clubs now rather than Championship teams
3: Yeah,
4: um, they're probably more likely to get more game time and I think they have probably learnt from the Gnabry situation that loaning them to West Brom was never going to be a good idea but they're now looking for um, clubs that Play like a similar style to Arsenal, like Swindon, where Matt Smith has gone, um, have been known for playing like passing football. So they're like really like doing things like um, better now.
3: Mm.
1: I mean, we have seen some of these guys. I mean, we talked about the 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 crop of players who are in the first team, but but some of the more senior youth players, if you like, like Matt Smith, like Zach Medley, Trey Coyle. Uh, have gone on loan. Uh, Medley and Coyle are at at Gillingham. Matt Smith has gone to Swindon. They're going to play in League One next season. Are you expecting any others uh, to go out on loan? It does feel like there might still be scope for a few more to to go out and get some experience.
4: Yeah, I think there'll be a few. I think um, James olley is one. He was at Northampton in the second half of last season, but he is injured for most of that, so he'll probably go on loan again. Um, John Jules could go on loan if... Um, he's not needed in the first team um Tutu is a difficult one but he's a bit older and we probably need to either promote him or sell him but i think he could maybe get a chance at arsenal if like certain players leave but um, i think they need to loan out probably two or three more players now um but they've could have got a, a new like batch of scholars with about 16 players in who are and like Almost all of them are really, really good players. And so they'll want to step up um, quite quickly. So they've got to make space for them. And all of these um, other new players they've just brought in, um, it means they've got uh, probably too many players at youth level at the moment. So some people have to leave permanently or online. Mm. Okay. well, look... um...
1: One of the things that people really enjoy about the, the coverage of the youth team and, and the greater knowledge and expertise that we have now, uh, you know, thanks to the work that you do and, and, and everything else is, you know, identifying young players who we can pin all our hopes on and hope that they're going to become the next big thing—it's—it's um, it's unrealistic, of course, but it is nice to sort of track the development of of some of the the most highly rated young players at the club. So, can you give us three players um, for the upcoming season that that Arsenal fans should should keep an eye on? Um, players who who aren't just exciting at this level, but who probably have a chance to make it if things go well for them and we know a lot of things have to fall into place but but all the same are there three players you can think of who, who we really should keep
4: an eye on um, well one is um, Ben Cottrell he's a central midfielder um, he's already played quite a bit for the under 23s but now he's stepped up permanently he's quite short but he's um, a really good pass and I think he could maybe get involved with the first team in some capacity um, mm. next season maybe in the Europa League Um there's another midfielder as well, Captain Serjan. He's Romanian. He joined um last year and he was really good in his first season. He's like very good technically. I think he's definitely one of the best players in the Academy. Um and I think he's been promoted to the under twenty three squad, even though he can still play for the under 18s which shows like how um highly based he is. Mm. And the other one is um a goalkeeper, um, Arthur Conqua, um He's been out for a year because he um he had a health problem but he's um, thankfully like back in training now and he seems like he's fully fit and and prior to that he was doing really well. He made some excellent saves for the other twenty threes. He was like really commanding in his penalty area. Um he actually trained for the first team when he was like fifteen, I think, when Wenger was still there and right. he's a he's a really good player, um, goalkeeper. But I think um but there's five goalkeepers in the under 23, so he might not play all the time, but he definitely, if he can get back to the level he was before, I think he could um, potentially make the break for eventually.
1: All right. well look, those are three names, and there are plenty of others at youth level. I mean, Miguel Aziz is another one that people think very highly of, and uh, we've mentioned some of them, Tyrese John-Jewel, Sam Greenwood, who is a fairly high-profile capture, but look, um, do we know yet when the the under-23 season, Premier League 2 season is starting?
4: Um, It hasn't been confirmed yet, but Um, but there's been talk that it's going to be next month and they're also in the um, leasing.com trophy which starts next month as well but um, they haven't played any games since March so they'll probably need like a couple of friendlies before that but yeah for sure
1: okay well look when it does start of course you'll be covering all the stuff and all the action and all the the stories about the youth team and the players and the results over on Arsbug News and on your own site uh, Arsenal Youth Uh, George great to talk to you thanks a million thank you Thank you very much indeed to George. You can find him on Twitter at George Bird, but that's George with a J, George Bird. He's also our regular uh, youth correspondent for Arse blog News. You'll find his stuff and all the new stories on there and his own blog as well, which is arsenalyouth.wordpress.com. That's arsenalyouth.wordpress.com. Just want to give a shout to those of you who are interested in fantasy football, uh, of which I I'm not really one of those people, but I've got a bit of an interest this season because over on our Patreon, we are doing a fantasy football league. It has been set up. If you are an Arseplug member on Patreon, you can join. There are prizes, cash prizes, for first, second, and third place. We're going to give a mini trophy to whoever finishes in fourth. My aim is to finish last, dead last. I'm going to pick a team. In fact, I've already picked a team. I've entered it. It is in the Blog Patreon members, Fantasy Football League, and that's it. I'm not touching it. I'm not even going to look at the Fantasy Football page. I'm not going to make any substitutions or anything like that. I don't think I've even picked a captain. And if I don't finish dead last with a record number of no points or certainly a record low number of points, I am going to be very disappointed indeed. If you want to get involved, if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can find the details on the Patreon page. It's also in the Discord. There is a channel in the Discord chat, and you can do all your fantasy football stuff in there. If you want to get involved, if you're not already an Arsblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arseblog. You can join for a fiver a month, and you get access to that and all the other bits and pieces that go along with it. Uh, extra bonus transfer podcast livestream, All the other stuff, uh, it's all there Patreon.com forward slash arseblog Right, have yourselves a great weekend Folks, James and I will be here on Monday With an Arsecast Extra chatting about Who knows what I said this last weekend uh, at the end of the last cast, who knows what we'll be talking about on Monday, and boy did we have plenty to get through, so you never know with this football club, there's just uh, so much going on, so you know let's see where we are on Monday and what we've got to talk about, in the meantime, have a good one take it easy, we'll catch you on the next one, until then cheers, bye bye
3: Okay, look, look, here's the inside scoop on Gabriel from Lille. Right? don't tell anybody this, but he's definitely going to make his mind up tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it's the day after, or possibly the day after that. Now, go forward in time to the day after the day after tomorrow, in which case it would be today then. And there's literally no question whatsoever that by tomorrow, then, which is three days from now because we've gone forward in time, that tomorrow, or the tomorrow after that, he will have made a decision about which choice he is going to make, about when, precisely, he will make his mind up and bring the whole thing to a conclusion, and, of course, the resolution for that will be settled... possibly... tomorrow?"